You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with uh, my good friend and co-host, John Beeler. On today's program, we got a lot of tech to talk, uh, so you'll want to stay tuned through the the whole show. We're going to be talking about uh, technology and how it's played its role in COVID-19 over the past year. Everything uh, from, you know, trying to figure out the vaccinations, uh, what we've done using technology to get through this time everything you can imagine. So uh, we've got a great guest on uh, from the University of Toronto's computer science department. We'll also be dipping into our viewer and listener mailbag, uh, answering some of your tech questions, uh, talking about uh, ring video doorbells and uh, big uh, big TVs uh, and uh, projectors uh, as well. And uh, we've got the folks from YubiKey on to talk about uh, that, that uh, little security key that we've uh, been talking about uh, that we're giving away as a contest prize it's uh, going to be a really fascinating chat john uh, let's dip into the tech news right now and this uh this is kind of more of a rumor we we keep hearing more and more rumors about the apple car that you know apple is uh supposedly coming out within the next few years uh they're going a different route again, rumor-wise, than Tesla. Tesla, obviously, making their own cars. They're building their own factories. Uh, It looks like Apple is potentially partnering with Kia Motors. Yeah, this is very exciting. As I've said before, I have a Kia electric vehicle. We should say this is an electric vehicle. um, Yes, sorry. That the Apple car is. And um, the... Apparently, they're investing 4 trillion won, which is uh, 3.6 billion U.S. dollars in Kia Motors in a collaboration to build this electric car, supposedly. Interesting, right? Like partnering with an established manufacturer, Kia owned by Hyundai uh, over in uh, South Korea. Uh, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to, to see the technology that they're going to put in this. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it going to look like a MacBook? <laughs> or an Apple mouse? Uh, who, who knows? You know, I, I'm, I'm excited about the disruptors uh, in the world. You know, we've seen with Tesla, they have completely disrupted the car industry. They are one of the leaders in electric vehicle production. And, you know, the various technologies that go into that, you know, from batteries to even the in-car experience. You know, I've got a Tesla Model 3 and there's no dashboard. It's just one giant screen. Do you know what I mean? Like that's unheard of. Yeah. And I think that's a key point, Mike, because a lot of people don't think about all the cool things that Tesla has developed to support the car that have other uh, impacts elsewhere. Like they've got that power wall based on their battery technology. So I don't think it's available in Canada, but in the US, you can buy this this thing that will actually power your house. Um, kind of like a reverse solar panel, you know, type of thing. Yeah. And, and, and but also things like ha- rethinking the entire in-car entertainment setup and layout, like you said, with your, your giant tablet, that's your, that's your dashboard basically. Um, and it, it just a complete rethinking and a very, um, future thinking uh, approach and you know arguably a lot of these same things is what you know people would equate apple being known for as well you know being future thinking they don't necessarily are the first to market but when they come with something they tend to dominate that market and so it'll be interesting to see what they think the version 1.0 apple car should have taking from what we know about kia and and their electric vehicle platforms but also knowing what Apple's going to want to throw into the mix as well and how how different it's going to be from an actual Kia, you know, there's that aspect, but also what 
interfaces and user experiences are there going to be for uh, this car that are going to be different and new? Maybe you can face unlock the car just by having it look at your face when you <laughs> come near it. I, I would I would not be surprised. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think this is probably an exciting time for um, their designers to sort of tackle a new problem uh, in in a very different way and without any kind of uh, pre-existing baggage like the existing car companies have to deal with all the time. uh, They can sort of really think outside the the box or the cockpit of the car, for, for lack of a better term. Yeah, and, and I guess partnering with an established car manufacturer, uh, they can potentially get the scale that they would need as well. That's one of the huge challenges Tesla has had in actually delivering on the orders that they've taken. They've got all yeah. these orders, but they can't make enough cars. Well, and it seems like every every other day we hear about a new factory being built by Tesla to keep up with those orders, uh, whereas Kia already has that infrastructure in place. Yeah, I, you know, I think the next five to 10 years in the automobile industry is going to be highly disruptive. You know, you, you can even feel it with the, you know, the established brands, uh, you know, like the Volkswagens and, and GM, like they've changed their logo to look like a futuristic kind of electric car logo, you know what I mean? Like company. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're all in on electric cars uh, over the next couple uh, decades. So I think they realize, you know, the tipping point is, is getting here where, you know, people are going to be going electric instead of uh, gas, gasoline. Obviously, the price has to uh, drop, but, you know, will these big brands survive, John? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. will, will they be bought out or merged with some of these up and, up and coming companies like Tesla? Well, it's interesting too, like Ford just made a deal with uh, Google to use Android as their main platform for their in-car system um, for, I think, a six-year deal for that. So again, a lot of these tech companies are joining forces with uh, the car companies to really redefine what their platforms actually are. I wonder if that'll have an impact with these other car manufacturers. You know, I look at Apple and you know the uh, the screen or the entertainment system. Pretty well, all of the cars now you can have Apple CarPlay or Google, uh, Google uh, the Google version of that. Um, you know, will they be as excited to have Apple in their car if they're competing against Apple in <laughs> in the automobile market? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think what it boils down to is is consumer choice, though. It's whatever smartphone platform that they want to use as their basis, but they still have to offer some kind of non-smartphone connected infotainment system of some kind like yeah. even my kia i mean it works i think the best with uh apple uh, carplay but it also supports android auto um but out of the box it does have sort of its own version of all that the, the, a lot of the same things you know whether it's uh you know uh, media playback or navigation that type of thing it's all it's all there but it's just not quite as polished as you know what google offers through google maps or what Apple offers through their various uh, applications as well that you plug in with your phone tethered to the car. Well, we'll be keeping on top of uh, this story as it uh, develops and we get some hopefully hard facts. Uh, John, you have been uh, shoving this in my face for the past few days because you're running a beta version of uh, iOS. Uh, That's the operating system that iPhones uh, use. One of the struggles I have in this COVID-19 world always wearing a mask and I use the face unlock feature. You know, the camera basically reads my face. That's my security password uh, to unlock my phone. Well, it doesn't work with a mask, but an upcoming update, I think iOS 14.5 will let iPhone users that have an Apple watch unlock their phone while wearing a mask. 
Yeah, I have to say this has been a game changer the last few days that I've had this beta installed. Um, you basically have to have your phone uh, obviously paired with your Apple Watch. Your Apple Watch has to be unlocked. But if you look at your phone with your face wearing a mask and uh, you meet the criteria of having your, your uh, watch unlocked, it will unlock your phone as fast as it did without a mask on. So um, I, I don't know how many times I did this yesterday after I got the beta. It just works like you would expect. Um, you get a little uh, haptic notification on your watch that it actually has happened. And you can even lock your phone again from your watch without having to touch your phone. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a very limited, uh, I think, audience for this. You have to have an Apple Watch and you have to have an iPhone. But I think a lot of people that have Apple Watches probably have iPhones. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see if Samsung and Google and, and some of the other players that have uh, their own smartwatches will adopt something like this to help that feature function on Android. I'm sure they will. So this is a, an update coming. Do they say when this update will come to the, the masses? They, they, they haven't said when, but they just came out with a, a fairly important security update uh, that we talked about last week. And I suspect that this, uh, with, with a couple other small or minor features, might come out fairly soon. Because I think a lot of people are going to be clamoring for this feature. Um, and like I said, it has been pretty much a, a game changer. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, still a lot more tech to talk here in the show. We'll uh, be telling you about a little device that can make your computers and even your smartphone ultra secure better than passwords better than your face just that extra hardware level so you want to stay tuned for that you're listening to get connected here in the chorus radio network back after this you are back with get connected mike agarbo here with john beeler still lots to talk about on today's program later on we'll be opening up the mailbag taking your uh, viewer and listener questions and uh, also talking about how technology has been part of uh, the whole covid19 pandemic and lockdown and some pretty interesting uh, stuff we'll be uh, discussing that with uh, dr rob uh, bake he is a science professor at the university of toronto but right now I want to talk about security i think we're all concerned about it every Every day we hear about, uh, you know, new hacking attempts into large companies uh, and even, uh, you know, people's phones and computers. How can you protect yourself properly? Well, last month we gave away uh, a bunch of Yubi keys, and uh, to hear more about it, uh, we've got uh, Ronnie Manning on the line. He's uh, the CMO over at Yubico, the, the folks behind the YubiKey. Thanks for joining us, Ronnie. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, we uh, we were pretty excited to give those away last uh, month. Uh, Graham, one of our uh, contributors, uh, he he just loves it. <laughs> he's just all over right. it. So he's the, the the man that made it happen over here. But uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about it. And, you know, especially since you're from the company itself, just to kind of mm-hmm. dig down a little bit deeper. I- explain sure. to our listeners what a UB key does, what it looks like, and where it plugs in. So a UB key is a hardware authentication device. So they plug into USB-A, USB-C, Lightning, and they also connect with uh, NFC as well. So you're able to use it by touching it to a mobile device. If I was going to show the products, I can show them here. So this is what the products actually look like. Uh, you can see these are keychain form factors, USB-A, USB-C. These nano form factors are actually made for individuals who want to keep the authentication device in their machine semi-permanently. You can see here, I actually have one uh, in the side of my USB-A. This is a USB-A Nano. So 
how these work technically as a second factor is if I log into something, I'll just use Google as an example. I'm going to put in my username and password. And once I have these keys registered to my account, it's actually going to prompt me to touch my device to be able to get into my account. So if someone were to get uh, my login credentials and tried to get in, they actually would not be able to because that physical key is required uh, to be able to log in and complete that transaction to get me into that account. So when you say touch it, you, you have to physically touch the key itself? Correct. Yeah, all of these keys have what's called a capacitive sensor on them. So all these little gold areas, um, it prompts to, to, to authenticate with the YubiKey. I then touch this sensor. It gets a little bit of electricity from my figure that completes the circuit on the key, and then it activates the key. And this, from a security perspective, that's very important because it actually doesn't allow something like a piece of malware or code to replicate that human touch to trigger that key. On these nano form factors, it's going to be on the edge or on the side of the device for the for the lightning key. And so, yeah, physical, a physical touch is required. Correct. But th- these keys, they don't actually like register your fingerprints or anything like that. It's literally just a physical touch. Yeah, the YubiKey Five series is just a physical touch. Um, we have. Uh, announced um, that we will be forthcoming with a biometric key. It's called the YubiKey Bio, which will actually have a biometric sensor in it. Um, and that basically, when you touch it, it'll verify it's you with that uh, fingerprint and then uh, do that same process of triggering the key. So this is a, a second factor of authentication, essentially. Correct. If you were to compare it to uh, another form of two-factor, you know, there's SMS, there's push apps. Uh, this is going to be that higher level of security as a physical device that's not connected to the internet. Um, a great thing about these devices is they, they support multiple authentication protocols. So you're able to use these for one-time password generation. You're able to use these uh, for smart card login. Uh, and then the FIDO protocols, which we which we helped to pioneer, FIDO U2F and FIDO2, those are on these keys as well. So you're able to use this one key across multiple different services, multiple different applications, and for each, it's going to be that same user experience of plugging in and touching the device to to authenticate myself. So this, yeah, this essentially prevents uh, an online hacker from getting into your device like they would have to physically like they would have to hack in digitally and then they'd have to be at your house <laughs> where your device is or wherever you are to actually touch like your laptop uh, or your, your Correct. phone that that's 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 really the importance of of that physical touch is that you have to have physical access uh, to the key if if someone was going to try to do something nefarious but yes these really are protecting from those incoming attacks um, online. And this is something that you would register your different uh, devices. So your your laptop, your desktop, your smartphone, but also how uh, certain apps would require this to be configured as well, right? So correct. So we have we have what's called our works with YubiKey um, program and catalog. It lists the hundreds and hundreds of applications that have built support for the, these devices. You know, we, we, we created a key and, and applications and services that come on board and add support for this key are going to be that lock that this key fits into. Uh, each, each service does require you to register the key with that service. Um, you know, Google, as an example, I can register my key there. I can then take it 
and register it for my Twitter account, that same key. I can then take it if I'm within the business environment, register it to an identity platform, ping, Okta, whatever it be, take it home and use it on my personal Dropbox. You know, there's a lot of different uh, ways that you're able to use these devices. And the great thing is uh, one key supports these hundreds of different services. So you're not required to use a single device uh, per different uh, application or service at all. I, I could see this working really well, you know, especially if you're using your device from a, a business perspective. You know, you've got a lot of mm-hmm. uh, sensitive information on there. Would regular consumers, do you think this is something that they should have as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you think about it from from kind of the, the where we are with the internet and, and all of our information that, that's on there. We, 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 we have a key, I like this analogy that we have a key to our house, we have a key to our car, yet we protect everything for the most part online with a username and a password. And this is really where there's so much information about us. And, and having a YubiKey allows you to really put that physical protection on all of your assets. Been talking with Ronnie Manny from Yubico. They make the uh, U- YubiKey, fantastic little hardware uh, device, uh, tiny little key that can plug into smartphones, tablets, and computers to give you that second layer of security and make it easy for you as well. Ronnie, where can people find out more information? Yubico.com, uh, www.yubico.com. Thanks for joining us. When we get Back. More tech to talk here and get connected. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We're going to talk a little bit about COVID-19 and technology and how that's all kind of interplaying together and maybe look at some of the, the brighter aspects of it. To help us, uh, we've got a great guest. His name is Dr. Ron Becker. He's the Emiratus University of Toronto computer science professor and tech researcher. And uh, they... Uh, him and uh, some other authors have written a, a great ebook called The COVID 19 Solutions Guide Health, Wealth, Technology, and the Human Spirit. Thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I wanted to get you on the program. Uh, I think this is a great ebook uh, that uh, you and uh, your team have come up with. Uh, so, COVID 19 has been uh, unfortunately uh, not a great part of uh, all of our lives uh, worldwide. And I just wanted to talk a bit about the technology aspects today and, and maybe some brighter spots. How, how has technology helped make it a bit better? Well, technology has played many, many roles during the pand- pandemic. One is medical support technology, such as contact tracing apps which unfortunately have not been widely adopted in democratic countries. Secondly, there are links to apps and websites for uses such as accessing medical care, mental health support, entertainment, and access to government financial aid for individuals and businesses. In other words, information about how to get such aid. Then there have been tools to support virtual learnings by students at all levels of instruction, elementary, secondary, and university levels from their homes. And there, there's some uh, really interesting successes with this, even though often one hears of many of the challenges. But I'd say the most important role, the most important role is the technology for connecting this, video conferencing technologies, of which the best known example is Zoom, to allow such things as employees to work from their homes, to support virtual learning, to provide access to cultural resources such as concerts and movies. As an opera fan, uh, I get amazing performances every day from the 
archives of the Metropolitan Opera in New York, totally free. But the most important of those is to deal with isolation and loneliness, to keep families close despite physical separation, including with linking isolated seniors to their children and grandchildren. I, I think that's an interesting point. Uh, I know a lot of uh, of us have become have become disconnected because we're in lockdowns. You know, we can't go outside of our our bubbles or our households. Uh, so there's no question technology, especially uh, the, the video conference, uh, conferencing technologies like Zoom and Teams and Skype have made a dramatic uh, improvement there. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, will there be some long-term benefits to this? Has it made us better at connecting with each other? Uh, you know, obviously, I, I, I like the physical uh, connections, you know, actually being able to see someone, shake their hand, you know, put my arm around them. Uh, but do you think it, it makes us a bit closer as a society? Well, I think it does, and I'll give you I'll give you some specific examples. First of all, my own example: uh, my family. I'm the only one in Canada. My family is scattered across five countries, including several uh, many people in the U.S., some in Argentina, some in Spain, some in England. Uh, we didn't need COVID to do this, but COVID was the inspiration to what we now have is monthly family gatherings. And so these are often focused on a birthday party. This Sunday, we're gonna have an amazing event in which we're celebrating four birthdays. One, age 78, my first cousin, my niece, age 43, her son, age nine, and the uh, fourth child of one of my second cousins in England, who was just born three weeks ago or a month ago. And not only that, with respect to my, the nine-year-old in New Jersey, we're gonna be participating with him and his parents in a full day scavenger hunt. Now we could have done this without COVID, but COVID has made it all necessary. And I believe this kind of family connectedness will continue beyond the pandemic. So for example, when people close together have family events, whether it's a Christmas dinner or a Passover Seder or whatever, they will start to invite people, relatives, family from all over the world in order to join. I attended, uh, unfortunately, the funeral of one of my students uh, recently. Uh, he was about 70 year, years old. He passed away from COVID. And I and many people were able to participate virtually from our homes. Now, if there were not COVID, would I have gone uh, physically? I'm not so sure. So events such as birthdays, um, um, religious celebrations, dinners, events, even funerals, I think have been changed profoundly and profoundly for the better forever. Now that's not to say that of course, I would love to go and hug the people. I would love to be there. But for those of us who are too far away, this represents opportunities. And this is one thing that has arisen out of technologies in combating COVID that will last for a long time. 
again, uh, Dr. Ron Becker's book, uh, The COVID-19 Solutions Guide, Health, Wealth, Technology, and the Human Spirit. Uh, great, uh, great talk today and never enough time. I appreciate uh, you coming on the program. Thanks so much for inviting me. When we come back, we open the viewer and listener mailbag, answering your questions. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike and John here. We're going to open up the viewer and listener mailbag. I, I love this uh, segment because uh, we get to take questions from people that send them in on the website. And uh, let's uh, go to Tony. And Tony asks, uh, I think it's about the ring. Yeah. Regarding ring video doorbell, do you require a smartphone and data? Can you use with just Wi-Fi? Uh, fantastic question. And this is actually a good question. Uh, they're coming out with a, a new version of it, John. We talked about this for 79 bucks. Uh, Canadian. Yeah. Canadian. It's it's wired. So basically, you take off your old doorbell and stick the wires in this one. It's not too bad to install, actually. Um, so you don't have to have a smartphone. Uh, you can actually check out uh, the, the video. If someone actually rings uh, the video doorbell, uh, you can check it out on your computer. Uh, and also Alexa, or sorry, Amazon has their uh, Alexa Show uh, devices. These are little uh, mini Alexa speakers that have a screen on them, and they're under 100 bucks. And so you can actually have one of this in your home or your living room, and if anyone ever rings the video doorbell, it can come up on that. And you can also have it come up on your Fire TV as well. Which is cool. So you just get one of those Fire TV sticks. Uh, and those are great for watching Netflix and Amazon Prime Video, but like you said, the video will come up there. Uh, and I think to his uh, question, do you have to have a smartphone and use data? Uh, you can use uh, Wi-Fi. Yeah, that's even better, right? Because you're not using data from your plan. Yeah, I think the, the, the only time you would need data is if you're away from your home and you know the courier rings the doorbell to deliver a package and you can see and interact with them and just tell them, like, put it down beside the plant or whatever. Yeah, I, uh, I'd have to double check, but uh, I do believe you can go in uh, to your, your settings as well to make sure that uh, you're only uh, watching video uh, via Wi-Fi instead of data. Yeah. Yeah, which is something uh, I'm just going in here. Um, yeah, I believe that's something that... Uh, oh, yeah. There's a If you go into the settings on the iPhone anyway, I'm sure it's the same on Android, um, you can, there's a little button under Ring uh, that you can turn the cellular data off. So it's just using Wi-Fi. So hopefully yeah. that answers your uh, your question. Uh, next question. This is from Rob. Have you done any reviews of projection screens suitable for uh, the ultra short throw Vava projector? What would you recommend for a 120 inch wall mounted screen? We bought the Vava based on your great review. Uh, so we still have this in our studio, John. This is a, a projector and you literally only have to have it a few inches away from the screen or the wall. I don't know how it does it, but it projects, you know, a giant, you know, 120 inch image and it's, it's great quality. It, it's amazing. And, and to, to Ron's question, we just have it on a white painted wall, painted wall. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have any special paint or anything like that. And it just looks fantastic. So there's a couple of routes to go. Uh, if you have a white wall, uh, I know some people that are much more into, uh, you know, the screens and the image, uh, you can get special projector screen paint for that wall that, you know, makes the most out of the image from the projector. If you're looking for a, like a pull down screen or a motorized screen, God, you know, the, the sky's the limit as far as the price on those things. I got to be honest, I, I have a projector in my family room and 
I, I'm not like one of these high, high-end home theater guys. So if you are one of those guys listening right now, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I just bought an Amazon uh, screen off of Amazon. I think I paid $120, John, for like a 110-inch screen. And it was motorized as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you, you also got a little smartphone gad- or smart home gadget to make it uh, smart controllable. Yeah. So that was the thing. This thing didn't have any apps or anything it's just it had a remote control which is cool uh but i brought uh, it was from broadcom this company called broadcom it's like a little um uh bluetooth uh, and uh, also uh ir and rf those are all the different radio frequencies that you control things with and it's a universal one so you you plug this in and through its app you can actually make it learn the different remotes in your house that aren't smart enabled and so I did that. So now I just have, uh, you know, an Amazon Alexa command or, or even a Siri shortcut, and I can just use my voice to get the projector screen down. So depends how much of a, uh, a home theater uh, aficionado that you want to be. Uh, I mean, yeah, the more you spend, obviously, the, the better screen quality. You can spend, like, thousands on these things. But uh, I spent uh, 120 bucks, and I love it. It's, it's brilliant. And, you know, if it breaks tomorrow... I don't care. It was 120 bucks. I'll just buy buy another one. Um, let's move on to another question here. I'd like to know Mike's feelings on the Fix Me Stick. I get uh, flashes on Facebook featuring his comments, but wonder if that's an official position. Thanks, Alan. Okay, I love this thing. I got to be honest. <laughs> it's it's a little USB key, and you only use it when everything else goes wrong. So if your computer gets infected with malware, virus, whatever. Uh, you basically turn your computer off, stick this USB and USB key into it, and and boot from it. You might have to go into your BIOS to to set a setting to make it do that, but you do that, and basically it'll boot up into kind of a safe mode where it can go in and actually remove any of the the bad malware and viruses on there. Have you used one before, John? I, I used one a couple of years ago. Um, I didn't need it because I was using a Mac at the time, yeah. and, but I gave it to a friend that had a PC, and she loved it. The only thing I don't like about it now is they've gone to like a, uh, a yearly subscription model. You're, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, so you have to continually pay for this thing. But I got to be honest, I got it, I got one. <laughs> it feels like a triage thing, right? Like you yeah. only use it when you have a problem. Yeah. And so maybe you put it in the drawer and you don't have that subscription going yeah. uh, until you need it again. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I love it. I've used it so many times. You know, can can you figure a way to do this yourself by you know, getting your own USB key and putting some antivirus software on there. Yeah, you can. But this thing, it's just preloaded. It just works. You know what I mean? Like I get called because obviously I'm a tech guy. Like all my family members are always calling. Oh my God, my computer is infected. I just bring a fix me stick (laughs) and it saves me a ton of time. Definitely. And I think that that's the key point is, yeah, we could troubleshoot or diagnose why the computer's having a problem. Yeah. Um, but that's not easy to do remotely, especially if the computer's not working properly, especially right now during COVID. So they can just run down to their local store or buy it online and plug it in. And, and yeah, it, I mean, it's not going to fix everything. No, sometimes things are beyond a fix me stick, but uh, definitely for a PC user, it's a, it's a good way to go. And that's a good point, John. Uh, Mac users aren't typically affected by all this malware stuff. I mean, it's, it can happen, but it, it's more likely on a, uh, a Windows uh, machine. But again, yeah, I, I give it a total thumbs up. I've got one myself still. Like it just, it's easy to to use. And I recommend anyone that's not like a total neck, uh, you know, techie nerd person, uh, you know, to have one in their drawer. Definitely. 
We are going to have to take a break. When we come back, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. Uh, just want to talk about this news story I came across, uh, John. You remember Lego? Yes. Who, who doesn't? <laughs> I, I, I love. <laughs> I have like a giant box of Lego in my garage, and my wife's like, just get rid of it. I'm like, oh, no. Like, this is literally thousands of dollars of Lego. It's not a box, Mike. It's the size of a car. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I had three kids, right? And they yeah. loved Lego. They were always buying all the different kits. And uh, I've just kind of, unfortunately, it's all loose. Like, it's a gi- one of those giant storage Husky bins. Uh, yeah, it's about the size of a Volkswagen. But uh, I'm not giving it up, man. Like, if I ever get grandkids one day, I'm saving them thousands of dollars. Or their their parents, anyway. Uh, so, Lego's made a white noise playlist. John, talk us through this. So, yeah, this is something really interesting that they've done is they've gone ahead and they've created uh, a number of 30-minute audio tracks of literally, they probably just recorded their, you know, their test lab or whatever, people rifling through Lego bricks. So, it's like the tinkling sound of the plastic uh, pieces and there's different themes for them. And the cool thing is, is these are completely free. And they're, they're just meant to be a sort of relaxing, soothing sounds of someone actually enjoying Lego. And it's a great marketing thing that they've done, but they've made it available on Spotify, iTunes, like all the, the places. You can even go to lego.com and play them right in there. Um, there's even one called Searching for the One Brick. That I love. <laughs> you know, when, you, when you're digging through the big pile, trying to find that one little like two-piece uh, green piece of lego that you need to finish that wall or that house that you're building right so um it's it's a kind of neat it's a i think it's a really neat idea and it's it's really soothing sound and it's completely free so what do you got to lose you know it's soothing for these crazy times we live in and you know who hasn't uh played uh, with lego that's i wonder if they <laughs> i wonder if they have one where someone steps on the lego <laughs> <laughs> that's not soothing <laughs> that's, that's screaming <laughs> Maybe we can do our own separate play, playlist for that. Uh, we're going to have to go now. I want to thank everyone that helps put the show together. John, of course, and uh, Christina back at the studio. Don't forget to check out our sister show, The App Show, on every Sunday across the country and Saturdays in Toronto. We'll see you again next time.